Bibles, Daniel chapter 7. You guys should have your study sheets, uh, right? We left off last week with, what did we do? We started letter B, we did number 1, and we needed to get through the last two points. I figured rather than rush through it, we'll spend some time and look at the Antichrist. Uh, but just understand something. Uh, we're going to be exposing the enemy tonight. We're going to be looking at his game plan. Those of you guys who play sports in here, those of you guys, whether it be football, soccer, whatever it is, if you had an opportunity to look at the enemy's playbook, if you had a chance, an opportunity to look at your opponent's playbook to know what plays they were going to run against you, would it not be beneficial to you? It's not cheating. It's, it depends on how you acquired it. It depends on what means in which you acquired it. If you acquired it through illegal means, then... That's on your conscience. But if you had the opportunity to look at the opponent's playbook and what they were going to run against you, would it not be to your advantage? Would it not help you? Would it not help you to know, okay, they're going to run this against me, so I better prepare, I better defend, I better know what play to run against them so that they don't get a fast one on us. Tonight we're going to be looking at the enemy's playbook. We're going to be looking not only at who he is, but what he is planning in the future so that hopefully we can go out and warn people so the Bible says we're to do. We're to be warning. We're to be pulling some, having compassion on others, and pulling them out of the fire, Jude talks about. Because they don't know what's coming. So understand, any time we get a chance to expose the enemy, to look at who the Antichrist is going to be, or look at what his plans and his purposes are for this world and his own kingdom that he's wanting to set up, understand there's going to be opposition of some kind. There's going to be opposition of some time, of some kind. This stuff, this information is not going to be free for you. It's not going to be free for us. So we have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard each other and watch out because, man, he's not going to be happy with this. That's why most people, everybody always wants to talk about the book of Revelation and they always talk about, man, how scary of a time it's going to be. But really, they don't really talk about this man of sin. Because so many churches this, this day and age are starting to go the way of the world. Many churches, as we're going to see here in a little bit tonight, they're actually welcoming the Antichrist with arms wide open. We're going to see that in a little bit. So no, they don't want to expose him. They don't want to talk about him in Revelation and, and what the book of Daniel and other places in the Bible have to talk about. So mark it down. If you're in here, put your dukes up. Be watching for these attacks that are going to come against you. Because again, the enemy doesn't like to be exposed. The enemy likes to be subtle. That was the way he was first described in Genesis 3 when he first showed up on the scene, and that's the way that Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 11. He likes to be behind the scenes, not revealed. Keep this in mind, and be on guard. Walk circumspectly, for the attacks are going to come this week, Tori. Before we go any further, let's go ahead and pray. Father, uh, just the events of the day, the course of the week, and even just the summer activities ramping up. Um, Lord, I need you tonight. There's going to be a lot for us to bite off, a lot for us to chew tonight. I just ask that you get me out of the way. Let me convey this message uh, the way that you set it up and orchestrated it. I pray that you would, just as Isaiah, that you would touch my tongue with a hot coal, that you purify me, that I would not pre bring forth my words, that I would not bring forth my opinions, my ideas, my concepts. Let it all be the words of truth, the word of God. Lord, if there's something that I want to present, if there's maybe an avenue or a path that I want to go down, 
and you don't want me to go there, God, stop me from doing it. I just want you to have complete control. I want to get out of the way. This is your book. It's your message. History, history, future even, it's your story. So God, have your way with not just me tonight to convey your words and your message, but have your way with all of these kids in their hearts. I know, it's just the long day and the hotness of the, of the summer months and, and uh, running around having freedom in, the, in summer break, God, I know it can wear them out. So I pray you'd wake us all up and that we would hear what it is you have to say about this all-important topic. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 7. So we looked last week talking about the Antichrist. We saw how he's the child of the devil who's against God and his seed. And something we've covered in here before is that one of the things of Satan, one of his modes of, of operating, we see this ever since going back to the garden, is that not only does he seek to come and counter God, God's people, the plans and purposes and will of God, but what else does Satan do? He counterfeits. He has to make it look as though it came from God. Why? Because what's the best lie to tell someone? I heard some people say it. The one that's closest to the truth. The one that looks the most like the truth. So we talked last week, we ended last week talking about how Satan... He is coming against God and His seed, Jesus Christ, because the devil himself, point number one, has a seed. Fill in that blank that we had last week. And him being a counterfeiter, you have, you have God the Father, and you have God the Son, and you have God the Spirit. Well, wouldn't you know it, that Satan himself also has his own unholy trinity. You have Satan, the dragon. What on earth? I can't even spell. Oh, I was going for either a P or a Q or I don't know what. You have Satan, the dragon. You have Satan, the beast. And you have Satan, anybody know? False prophets. <clears throat> Satan, the false prophet. And wouldn't you know, all of these correlate with the Holy Trinity. The dragon is known as the devil himself, that old crooked serpent. The beast, he's the counterfeit of Jesus Christ. But he's an anti-Christ. And then the false prophet who's kind of the behind-the-scenes man, kind of like the Holy Spirit, that unseen, unnamed servant as he goes by in other places of the Bible, working behind the scenes. He's not really seen, but kind of like Christ said to Nicodemus, when the wind blows, you can't see it, but you can feel it. You know it's near. That's what the Holy Spirit's like. Same thing with a false prophet. We'll see that later on tonight. He counterfeits. That was what point number one was all about. And in number four on your outline, as we covered last week, the Antichrist, he is the second member of the Satanic Trinity. So that's where we left off. But in the point number two, we pick up tonight, we're going to see that there's some names and titles of Antichrist that are very, very important to our understanding. Uh, I don't have it up here. We did look last week about how he calls Antichrist and how, remember, John was even writing back in 70 and 80 AD how he says, man, even now there are many Antichrists. 
there were many antichrists back in then, back during that time, how much more do you think there are now? And what is antichrist, he says? But he that denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Mark it down. We talked about this before. Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons, and there might even be some denominations of Christianity that deny the fact that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. They do not preach that He is God in human flesh, but that He was rather a created being. Uh, what's one of the most beautiful, most simplistic verses in all the Bible that talks about it's what's known as the deity of Christ, this whole idea of God in human flesh? What do you guys think is the most simple verse in all of the Bible that says Jesus Christ and God are one? Other than John chapter 10 where he actually says that. Yeah, you can't use that one. The simplest. Second Timothy 3.16. Can you say it? And without controversy, greatest mystery of godliness, like God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. It's all very simple. <laughs> Not very simple. It's one of the best verses, absolutely, but it's 1 Timothy 3, and I think it's verse 15, actually. It, it's 16. But you know what? It's 1 Timothy. It's 2 Timothy. Yes, exactly. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And jump over to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christ. He was there at the beginning. You know what's interesting? You look at each and every single one of those Bibles for a Seventh-day Adventist, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness. You know what it says? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was a God. Check it out. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. The Bible says in those verses we looked at last week in 1 John, that is the spirit of Antichrist. But he goes by a couple other names here, too. Look at point one. He goes by the name the Little Horn. Can I get a reader for Daniel 7, verse 8? Carson. I considered the horn, and behold, there came among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Boy, there's so many doctrinal and historical references that are there that we just do not have the time to go over. But if you look at this historically in the context of it, he's talking about the Antichrist here. And we're going to look at a couple other cross-references that talk about this, this horn that has a great mouth speaking great things, and he has the eyes of a man. He's called the Great Horn. You know that horns on your outline? It's a symbol of power, of authority, and of dominion. Lamentations chapter 2 says that he hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. You know why that's significant? You know what the term Satan literally translates to? Adversary. In Lamentations, he says, He hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. That is the literal word for Satan, and it's used to describe the Antichrist. Point number two. Ch turn over to chapter 8. I've mentioned this before, but humor me. What's the significance of the book of Daniel as it pertains to our study of Revelation? Daniel is the Old Testament equivalent of 
Revelation. You cannot understand Revelation without Daniel, and you can't fully understand Daniel unless you have Revelation. Look at chapter 8. Get a reader for verse 23, please. Don't all jump at once. Kendall. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are, the transgressors are come to the pool, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding dark sentences shall stand. He's a king of fierce countenance. That means he's a world leader, number one, because he's called a king. And he has a fierce countenance. That means he has a fierce persona. He is intimidating to look at. He is intimidating to be around. If you're in his presence, you almost feel as though you are just nothing to him. You guys know people that are like that? Because maybe they're just so smart for their own good that you're intimidated by them. Or man, they're just so talented on the baseball field or on the soccer field or on the tennis court, whatever the case is. Or maybe there's someone who's so good at getting all straight A's, you're just intimidated to be around them. That's nothing compared to this guy. He's a man of fierce countenance. That's why we don't mess around with him. You understand, too, that the Antichrist, he's known as the beast. He's going to be a man, as we just saw in Daniel chapter 7. But understand, behind that flesh, you have what? A beast. He's not to be trifled with. And look again at that. We're going to touch on this in a little bit here. But you see where he says he understands dark sentences? and that he shall stand up. Dark sentences, in other words, problems that are going on in life that don't have an easy solution. The Antichrist is going to be an intellectual genius, bar none. None are going to be like him. No one in history will have the understanding and the intellectual genius that he will. He's a king of fierce countenance. Number three, he is the prince that shall come. Number four, we see that he is known as a vile person. He's known in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17, as the idle shepherd. Not I-D-L-E, as in he's not doing anything. No, 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 no. He is an idol. He is something to be revered. He is something in pop culture that is going to be worshipped. And people are just going to be in awe of him. They're going to wonder after him, as we will soon see. And he's going to lead them. Number six, he's known as that man of sin. That man of sin. It's a definitive article. A definite article, meaning it is definitive. He's not like this man or that man over here. He is that man. He stands out. He's the son of perdition. He's that wicked. More on these terms in a little bit. Number seven, he is a dreadful and terrible beast. Flip back over to chapter seven. Look at this in verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. Means he just keeps, he keeps growing stronger and stronger. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had how many horns? Ten. He's a dreadful and terrible beast. And lastly, turn over to Revelation 13. He is the beast. All right, Gibby, we're going to start with you at verse 1. 
And then we're just going to work our way all the way down, snake around. We're going to read first nine verses. Everybody ready? When it comes to you, know what you're going to read. All right, Gibby, if you're ready, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Oh, huh, that sounds horns, familiar. Ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Hmm. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? who is able to make war with him. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Who remembers from last week? How long is that? Thirty-six months is how many years? Twelve plus twelve plus twelve. Three years! Man, you guys really check out after school's done. <laughs> plus... Six, years, six months. Sorry. I really checked out after school was done too. 42, three and a half years. All right, verse six. When he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle and then the dwelling. Hmm. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kingdoms and tongues of nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Remind me again from last week, how much is a score? Twenty. Twenty times three is... 60. 660 and 6. Those are his names. Point 3. The Antichrist will be a composite of several backgrounds. Look again at verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and his dragon, or and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Hey, if you want to write down Job chapter 40, verse 15, you know what is describing Satan in that verse? Behemoth. You know what behemoth is described and defined as? Mean animals. Leopard, bear, lion. Yep, yep, yep. Check, check, check. Mean animals. A behemoth. You know what's interesting, too? All of these animals, they show up in the book of Daniel. Used to describe the end times. Used to describe the Antichrist. And we see here the bear. He had a feet like a bear, it says. He has a mouth as the mouth of a lion. But look what it says about the leopard. Which I saw he was like unto a leopard. It almost gives the connotation that the entire body of this beast, with the exception of its mouth and its feet is a leopard. Now, you know, in the book of Daniel, all of these animals represented different kingdoms, different countries that would rule, different dynasties in ancient history that would come to power. That's what Daniel was talking about. 
when Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and the Israelites captive, he was telling them, hey, Medo-Persia's coming. And then after Medo-Persia, which he likened unto a bear, after Medo-Persia is Greece. And he talks about the Grecian Empire and how, man, there is going to be a ruler in Greece that is going to be as swift as a leopard, and he is going to go around conquering left and right. And wouldn't you know it, one of the most famous rulers and conquerors of all of history just so happened to come from the Greek Empire, and his name was Alex. Alexander the Great. Alex. Big Alex. Big Alex. <laughs> Ginormous Alex. Grandiose. Alexander the Great. You know what's interesting? He likens him to a leopard in the book of Daniel. What did the Greeks absolutely love more than anything else? There's a lot you can hear about that. But it's in the very name of the word itself. Philosophy. Philosophy. Philo means love. Sophie, wisdom. A love of wisdom. A love of knowledge. Kind of like a man who understands dark sentences and is an intellectual genius. Uh, you know what Colossians 2.8 says? There's not many places in all of the Bible that tell you to beware. Be aware of something. You see a sign walking down the street, or if you're driving and, you see a, and you're on the highway, you see a sign that says beware, and it's in orange, or maybe there's flashing lights around it. Are you not going to pay attention to that? You should. Could mean your very life. Not many times in the Bible does the word beware show up, but you know where it shows up in Colossians 2.8, what it says? Beware lest any man spoil you or rob you through vain deceit and philosophy. You know what the world is just full of today? Everyone has their own philosophy, their own way of life, their own wisdom, their own way to go about living. And what's good for me may not be good for you, man. And you might live things differently. You might believe things different for me. But hey, that's okay. That's the mindset. That's the philosophy, the prevailing theme of today's day and age. You know what this tells us here? When I look at Revelation 13, 2, I see that in this end time, one world government, one world religion we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, the biggest part of this beast is going to be Greek in nature. You know one of the reasons why we have a Bible Institute here in our own church? You know one of the reasons why Pastor Tom said from the pulpit this past Sunday that from now on we're raising up people from within and we're not going to send them out to a seminary school or a Bible college or that we're not going to um, bring people in from the outside who have been trained there? Because these days, there ain't a whole lot of difference between a secular college education of a liberal arts degree and a Bible Institute or a Bible college. Many of the things we looked at in church history about origin and about how he raised a group of disciples of his own that caused people to doubt the veracity, the authority, the authenticity of the Word of God, that's what's going on in many Bible colleges right now. And they're training up pastors and missionaries and pastors' wives and missionaries' wives to doubt the authority of the Word of God. They're causing them to doubt that they can trust every single word of this book. I've seen it happen. I've seen many biblically sound people get sideswiped and sniped when they go off to these colleges. It's happening in the church. It's happening in supposed Bible colleges. 
You think it's not happening in a liberal arts degree, educated college, in corporate America, all around you. Philosophy, intellectualism, it has completely permeated this in ways you might not have thought about. It's coming. It's coming. Number two, we're going to see that the Antichrist, he rises out of the sea. It's called the Great Sea. You can check out Daniel chapter 7. It's the companion passage to what we just read in Revelation 13. We see that he's coming out from this Great Sea. Number three, he's going to have connections to the area known as Assyria. The Assyrian, he's called. Now, it doesn't necessarily say, you know, to a degree that he has Assyrian blood in him, though, of course, by calling him the Assyrian, it alludes to that. But the thing with prophecy, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. The thing with prophecy is that it's called, uh, it's, uh, I can't forget, I remember the name. There's twofold. Whatever God is prophesying in the Old Testament, it came true once but it usually has an end times connotation. Does that make sense? So for example, when you see these passages, you check out these passages later talking about the Assyrian. Yeah, there was an actual king of Assyria who was ruling and reigning and went out to go seek and destroy all of God's people, the Israelites. But it didn't just end there with him. Many of these Bible schools and scholars and critics and experts will say, Oh, well, the Assyrian is clearly talking about this king of Assyria and this king of Tyre back in the 700 B.C. time, and that's all it is. When you cross-reference and compare Scripture to Scripture, you see, no, no, because there are certain things that happened there that didn't happen to the original Assyrian. God's talking about that guy, but he's also talking about future events that haven't yet occurred. Oh, well, I won't go down there. Talk about that later. It's just in my head. You don't even know what I'm going to talk about yet. Forget it. Number four, he has connections to Israel like the tribe of Dan. Do you guys remember that story I told you when we were going through church history of the Danites? They came across that guy, Micah, who built these false gods and these idols, and he worshipped them, and he had this black-robed priest uh, that he called a father and he started his own religion, and then the tribe of Dan comes along, sees all of this, and they're like, hey, is it better for you to be a, a priest to just this man's house or to an entire tribe of the nation of Israel? That was the Danites. That was the tribe of Dan. Here's what it says in Daniel 11.37. Talking about the Antichrist, it says, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, capital G God, that's Jehovah, nor the desire of women. Interesting. Nor regard any God, for he shall magnify who? Above all. You know, again, last week we talked about, we showed that passage in Jeremiah where we're talking about why is it I see men travailing as a woman, as though they are giving birth, and how much that verse has changed our understanding in recent years. You know, for years, Bible believers, as they look at this verse talking about the Antichrist, where it says, nor the desire of women, you know what Bible believers have always believed? That he's going to be the Pope. Again, because of what we studied in, Re in Revelation through church history, and again, Babylon comes back in chapter 17 and 18. They're like, oh, well, the popes, they, they abstain from marrying. They're not allowed to marry, so it must be him. And then this changed course over the years to say, oh, well, he's going to be a homosexual. 
because he doesn't desire women, and we know he's going to be a man. Boy, there's like three other different possibilities I can think about going with this verse, given how much society has changed as far as genders and people's understanding of genders. Who knows? Maybe he's an amalgam. Is that the right word? Not combination. Why am I looking at Andy as though he's going to confirm this? I'm smarter than you. Yeah. True words were never said. Daniel, or sorry, Genesis 49, verses 16 and 17. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Here's one of the other reasons why we think the Antichrist might be connected with the tribe of Dan. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. In other words, he's not going to progress further. He's going to hinder and prevent his people from growing forward. He's just there to be in the way to stop momentum from going. Know anybody like that? Understand, we may not deny the deity of Christ in here, but we can still have the spirit of Antichrist if we get in the way and hinder the growth and the development and the process of other believers in here. Maybe through slandering them, through backbiting, through spreading lies and gossip about them, through just ignoring them altogether. You understand, the way that you treat or don't treat people in this room could have detrimental effects on their walk. You could be like that serpent in the way that bites their heels and causes them to fall backwards and then not go forward in their walk. Be careful. Be on guard for each other. Again, talking about this on Sunday morning. You know what Deuteronomy 33 verse 22 says? It says that Dan is a lion's whelp. Uh, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but I know of another lion in 1 Peter 5, 8, who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So be sober, be vigilant. All right. Oh, lastly, he has connection to the Roman Empire. We looked at this verse last week, talking about Daniel's 70th week. He goes, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And maybe you missed this last week, but check it out. And the people of the prince, lowercase p, that shall come, the people of him shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Telescoping, that's what it's called. Because again, this is also a prophecy that has two folds. Clearly it's talking about the end times, right? But do you know what happened in 70 AD to Jerusalem and to the temple that was in Jerusalem? It was utterly destroyed and burnt down by the Romans, the Roman Empire. When Titus and Nero marched in and they crucified so many people they ran out of wood, they also destroyed the city and the sanctuary. That happened in 70 AD and it's going to happen again. Twofold prophecy, telescoping it's called. And the end thereof shall be with a flood and at the end the war desolations are determined. All right, top of the next page. Point number four, the coming of the Antichrist. The first three and a half years. <laughs> Point one. Where are you guys at? Are you still in Revelation 13 or are you in Daniel? All right, turn back to Daniel 8. The coming of the Antichrist. What's he going to do when he shows up? 
Well, point number one, he comes onto the scene peacefully as a powerful and gifted politician and economist with answers. Answers to fill in your blank. Understand something. He is a figure who brings about world peace. If he brings about world peace and everybody blindly, everybody in the world, we can't even get people to follow one person in one country. You have civil wars constantly that are happening all over the place. We can't even get people to follow one person in a country. Yet this guy is somehow able to bring about everyone to follow his lead in the entire world. If he's the man to bring about world peace, how bad do you think things are going to be before he shows up on the scene? Part and parcel because a couple million people just miraculously disappeared in the thin air and someone's going to be looking for an answer. A lot of people are going to be looking for an answer to that. But oh, I wonder, I wonder how bad it's going to get before that with people not being able to afford things like groceries or gas people not being able to go places because of this pandemic and then this endemic and then another pandemic and then a pandemic on top of the pandemic. We've seen it play out. Just a little preview, a little teaser trailer. He comes out of the scene peacefully with power. Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 23. Again, we saw he's a king of fierce countenance, understanding dark senses. He shall stand up. And this power, verse 24, shall be mighty but not by his own power. And he shall, check this out, he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy, again, governmental, politician, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many he shall also stand up against the prince of princes but he shall be broken without hand you know who he is i have this passage up on the screen it's not in your notes but go ahead and add it if you want revelation 6 the four horsemen of the apocalypse as they're known as the four horsemen the four riders just check this verse out. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. We're going to talk about the seals next week. One of the four beasts sang, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Who do you think that is? White horse, crown on his head. You know, in Revelation 19, it says that when Jesus Christ comes back, He's coming back on a white horse along with 10,000 of His saints. That's us. Guess what? Many people think because of that, this horse and this rider here is Jesus Christ. He's got a white horse and He's got a bow, but... That hurt a little. He's a counterfeiter. Sure, he's going to have a crown on his head. Sure, he's going to wear a white horse. But notice what he has here. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus Christ comes back with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This rider has a bow 
but no arrows. Which implies he's going to come about and bring about peace, not war. Not for those first three and a half years, at least. But as we just saw, God is pulling back the curtain and he's revealing to us what's really going to happen when this man of sin, the son of perdition, comes on the scene. He is going to destroy wonderfully. And also, I have uh, Daniel chapter 11 on here. Check this out. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in how? Peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Remember, he's that little horn with a mouth that speaks great swelling words. He's a great, wonderful orator, a great public speaker. Check it out in point number two. He empowers and works through ten kings and ten kingdoms on the earth. Let's turn over to chapter two of Daniel. Man, if anything, I hope from going to the study, it causes you guys to want to go and dig into Daniel. It's a heavy book, but it's good. Daniel chapter two. So you guys remember this story from Sunday school, right? Nebuchadnezzar's dream where he has this dream of this statue, this gold head, and then the, the, the chest and the arms of bronze, and then the, the belly of silver, and then the legs of iron. I think I might be messing some of those metals up. But the cool thing about that, that, that image is that the further down you go the statue, the idol, the idol shepherd, the further down the statue you go, the value of the metals depletes until you get down to the toes and the feet that's iron mixed with clay. And you know what this be or this this idol stands for, this dream, this vision? Again, it's those four kingdoms that were going to rule. You have the Babylonian head, they started it when they sacked Israel. Then you have the Medo-Persian Empire, then you have the Grecian Empire, and then you have Rome. Rome represents the legs of iron because, if you guys recall from church history, at one point Rome split into two factions. The Holy Roman Empire and they, which are on the east side, in Constantinople. The Orthodox Empire. But check out verse 42. And as the toes, this is at the very end of the statue, it's at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron, Rome, and part of clay, soft, weakened, not really easily moldable, not really easily, not really hardened like iron, but not completely, or I'm sorry, yeah, not completely hardened like iron because it has the clay. But it's not completely soft as clay because it has the iron. Kind of like, not hot, not cold, lukewarm. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Verse 43. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in these days, or in the days of these kings, verse 44, shall the God of heaven... Set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. 
So he empowers and works through these ten kings and kingdoms on earth. I have looked this up multiple times throughout my course of studying this. Uh, the United Nations Security Council, at least the last time I checked, is composed of ten nations, ten countries. But I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it's that identifiable. I think it's going to be more complex than that. Point of order is, this is going to be a unified world government comprised of different world governments all into one. And they're going to have a connection with Rome. Number three, we see that he is a great orator. We already read many of these verses saying he has a mouth that speaks very great things. He's going to speak great words, marvelous things, a mouth speaking great things. He shall destroy wonderfully. Uh, quick point of reference for you all. Whenever you guys see pictures of Adolf Hitler, what is his persona like? What's his countenance like whenever you see pictures of Adolf Hitler? Doesn't he always look angry and cold? Doesn't he always look like he's just always constantly mouthing something? And he just has like a, his face contorted with what he's saying? He looks psychotic, doesn't he? You never really see him go... <laughs> never. He seems psychotic when you look at him. When you listen to him actually speak, even though you can't understand a lick of a word that he says in German, it sounds like he's very, very angry and mad, right? But understand, this guy convinced his entire country that what he was about to do was okay. Yeah, here we are on this side of history. When we go back and look, oh yeah, psychopath. But back then, this guy's speaking truth. This relates to me. I identify with what he says. This makes complete and utter sense. This is logical. It's going to happen again. It happens all the time. Even on smaller scales. With your teachers. Just blindly believing what your teachers say. Just blindly believing what your textbooks say. Blindly believing what the media says. Blindly believing what you read on social media. This is happening all over the place. Oh, well, it makes sense. Yeah, that must be the way it went. Number four, his ascent to power will be accompanied by supernatural signs and wonders. Don't believe me. It's not my words. 2 Thessalonians 2.9, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. But mouth of two or three witnesses, Matthew 24, 24, that passage we looked at the last couple weeks talking about the tribulation period. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Why is that significant? Anybody Google signs and wonders? Yeah. Google signs and wonders. Signs and wonders, Lumina news. Signs and wonders, healings, miracles, and unusual events. Signs and wonders, sanctifiedbychrist.com. God of miracles, signs and wonders. Daily devotion, signs and wonders. Signs and wonders, we serve a God of miracles, signs and wonders. 
Signs and Wonders and Miracles. How to experience signs, wonders, and miracles. There are entire churches that are devoted to signs and wonders to mirror what the apostles were doing and seeing and witnessing in the book of Acts. The only thing is, even Paul himself, he couldn't go and heal Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he had to leave him sick. He had to leave uh, Philemon, or not Philemon, uh, Philetus maybe. He left somebody sick at Miletum. Philemon, Miletum. That's probably why I thought of that. He had to leave him sick. Towards the end of Paul's life, his healing powers were going away as the letters of Scripture were coming more to a completion. And people had copies of the Scriptures. Whereas you didn't need these miracles and signs and wonders to do these spectacular things. No, you just took them to the book and showed them what Jesus Christ did for them because he loved them so much. And then they just needed to believe and receive the words of this book. As 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, Not uh, as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the words of God, which effectually worketh in them that believe. And then they're saved. But man, I'll tell you what. Some of the biggest churches in America today, this is it. This is the bread and butter. Andy could come up and get to tell you testimony after testimony after testimony of his experiences in this. But again, my only issue with that is when I search signs and wonders in the Bible, these are the verses I see. Even him who's coming is after the working of who? With all power and signs and lying wonders. False prophets shall show great signs and wonders. Matthew 24. We got to be careful. We got to be careful because this is what he's going to do in order to unify the world to show he's a man from God. We need to follow him. You remember, oh, where'd we see it at? Oh, it was in Matthew 24 also. Remember those verses where it said, hey, in those days when you hear people say, oh, look, there's Christ. Oh, hey, in the desert is Christ. Come on, let's go see him. And what did Christ say? Do not go. Do not follow. It's because of this stuff that's going on. This is how he's going to unite the world. Number five, the one who is truly at work behind the Antichrist is his father, the devil. We already saw that. He's the dragon, the first in the satanic trinity. He gives him his power in Revelation 13, his seat and his great authority. Number six, the beast which is the Antichrist, and his father, the dragon, seek the worship of the people of earth. You guys have to turn back there. I've got it. But listen again to Revelation chapter 13, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death because of the three and a half year mark. Antichrist is going to be taken out, but he's going to be resurrected again because... Sorry for the creepy whisper again. He's a counterfeiter. Oh, yeah, you know, it does say Messiah, he would be cut off, and he'd rise again from the grave. Oh, so he is the one we should be following and worshiping. Verse 3, uh, And I saw one of his head was wounded to death, and the deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. They were inspired by him, they were in awe by him, and they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? And who is able to make war with him? Matthew chapter 4, 
How do we know that Satan desires worship? Because he tried to get it from Christ himself. And Satan saith unto him, Christ, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And what did Jesus say? Get thee hence, Satan. James chapter 4 says, You resist the devil and he shall flee from you. You get an egged on to do something you shouldn't do, to say something you shouldn't say, to think something you shouldn't think. Resist the devil and he'll eventually leave you alone. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. Although, tribulation period, there ain't no running from him. Number seven, the Antichrist manipulates people to buy, sell through his name, his mark, and his number. Listen to verses 17 and 18. And that no, or I'll read verse 16 for context. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And we already read verse 18, 603 score and 6. Hey, anybody been to the grocery store again lately? You guys probably don't know this, but ask your moms and dads uh, whatever your favorite food is that they buy for you. Ask them what they're paying for it now compared to what they were paying for it just a few months ago. Anybody driving here been to the gas station? Is that fun? Especially when you don't have jobs. You just see all of that money just tanking right into your tank, no pun intended. Boy, you know what's interesting? Again, he mentions the mark in the hand and the mark in the eye. You should look at some of the technology that is being invented right now. Again, I know some of us were joking about this last week, but again, what is it that Elon Musk was talking about not too long ago? The Neuralink, where it's a computer in your brain, access to anything you want. It's inside of you. You can bring it up on your eye. Google even had something like that similar a couple years ago. Didn't they wear the glasses? We got the computer right in front of your eye, in your forehead. It's creepy. The technology exists. Number eight, the Antichrist manipulates people through a false prophet and false religion. All right, go ahead and turn over to Revelation chapter 13. Got a couple more verses to read here. We didn't, we didn't read these ones earlier. Revelation chapter 13. Again, the tribulation period will be a period marked with a one-world government. Again, I, I don't know. I don't really want to get you guys much involved in politics. I feel like I have to just to know what's going on and to convey things to you. But again, just go and check out any one of these global speeches that a president or a person of power does at the United Nations or at the World Economic Forum. Goodness gracious, just look up some of the speeches from the world. I should have, I'll probably do that next week. I'm going to bring up some speeches from the World Economic Forum that they just happened two weeks ago. Some of the crazy stuff these world leaders were talking about doing, about being able to track everywhere you go. They call it your digital carbon footprint. They're going to track everything you do, everywhere you go, what you buy, what you sell. They're going to keep track of it all. Oh, and they say the technology doesn't exist yet, but they're working on it other people talking about, we need to do something about this whole idea of free speech. It's 
creepy some of the things they're talking about. But that's the thing. All of these world leaders are getting together to talk about how they can better control and run the world. It's happening as we speak. A one world government isn't that too far off, especially when something globally and catastrophic happens that they can't explain. Did the world not come together two years ago when we were all going through the thick of it? When we were all suffering? Just a precursor. Just an appetizer for what's to come. They're already gearing up for what's next. They're already talking about that. They always do that whenever something catastrophic happens, something that's global, something that affects us all. Uh, something that's going to affect us all is going to be millions of people just disappearing off the face of the earth one day. Is that thunder? Look at Revelation 13. Look at verse 11. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. This is the false prophet. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So you have the one world government. You have a one world religious system. Oh, and look at that. Worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was now what? Healed. Verse 13, And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them. Boy, Baal's prophets couldn't do that back in 2 Kings. Now this guy can make it happen. Where am I at? And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those... What? miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast hence Nebuchadnezzar's image hence him being called the idle shepherd which had the wound by a sword and did live and he had <sighs> such a counterfeiter and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Not too far-fetched to think about when you consider the fact that he's been doing that for the last, oh, 2,000 years, as we've seen ad nauseum. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor. Hey, you guys ever looked up, like, uh, this usually happens in South America and Latin America. You guys ever look up those images of people who say, the statue of Mary over here? It was weeping. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but it was weeping. You guys ever look up people who are like, uh, this toast has Jesus' face on it. Yeah, goofy. Yes, laughable. Absolutely. Uh, possibly real, though, in light of what we're talking about here just to prime people to get them used to things like an image speaking again, fire coming down from heaven to get people used to that idea again. Verse 16, and he causes, oh, we already read that. The Antichrist manipulates people through a false prophet and false religion. Ah. <sighs> We're going to end here. Turn over to Revelation chapter 17. This will be the last passage you turn to. Don't worry, we're going to get through the other page.
here's Babylon resurgence. Verse 1, follow along. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, again, more on the vials next week, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Remember Pergamos? Remember Numbers 25? And how Israel joined himself to Baal Peor? And committed much fornication? Yeah, you know what? That Pergamosian church that showed up in 325 A.D.? Oh, she's been making her rounds. She's been going to all the kings of the world. Just check it out. A quick Google search will tell you which kings and what their church affiliation is. You'll find out. The kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. She has a cup. So he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast. This church, this woman, she's associated with the color red. Full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and <gasps> how many horns? Wow, that's the third time that showed up. And it even showed up in Daniel, too. It's almost like Daniel and Revelation are the counterparts to each other. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls and having a golden cup in her hand for communion, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, spiritual and physical. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. You know why John is wondering at this? Think about where he came from in 90 A.D. Again, who's in charge in 90 A.D.? Pagan Rome. Pagan Rome. John's seeing all this, and he's looking up. Wait. Her? It's not the... Because see, a lot of those, those Bible um, scholars and those Bible experts who go in, off to Bible colleges who know everything better than us, sarcasm heavily implied, they will tell you that this mother harlot is pagan Rome. The Rome of John's day. It can't be. Because John knew what pagan Rome looked like very well. He's wandering with admiration at her because she's called Rome. As we're going to see here at the end of chapter 17, she sits on a city of seven hills. There's only one area in all of, or of all of the world that is associated with scarlet, purple, gold, precious stones, has a cup of abominations, commits fornications, is involved in every political uh, country that has kings all over the place of the planet that also happens to sit on seven hills or mountains. There's only one city that fits the bill perfectly for all of them. It's Rome. It's Rome. He's wondering because of who she is, but she's not like the pagan Rome. 
people are now following and flocking to her. And he's stunned by this. And the angel said unto me, verse 7, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I'll tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. Man. So you see, she manipulates people. He manipulates people through the false prophet and false religion. There's going to be a one-world government. There's going to be a one-world religious system that unites us all. Because, man, nothing makes for a good municipal bonfire like combining state and church together. Politics and religion always go well. Just ask the blood of the martyrs that this woman is stained with from the last 2,000 years of human history. Number five. We're only going to play with this a little bit. This is more of a teaser for you guys to check it out more on your own time. The Antichrist connection to Judas Iscariot. John 6, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. See, both Judas and the Antichrist are called the son of perdition. John, or Jesus says it in John 17, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then again, our passage in 2 Thessalonians 2, talking about the Antichrist, no doubt. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So both Judas and the Antichrist are called that. Number three, both are said to have their own place, which is perdition. You can check that on Acts chapter 1. Peter, after they replace, find Judas' replacement, they say that Peter, or Judas, he went to his own place. And it said in number 4 of the beast that he was and is not, and it is shall... And, hold on. I think that's a typo. That he was and is not and is, and that he shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Hell. Check those passages out. It'll make sense. There might be a typo there, or it just might be weirdly worded. Number six, does the Antichrist know that he is the Antichrist? Well, as you look at John chapter 6, later on, Judas apparently knew that he was the devil, or that he was of the devil, rather. But then check out this passage here in Psalm 109, and this is a direct quote that the disciples quoted when they were again finding the replacement for Judas. It says, Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged... Let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. So because of that, and the fact that the disciples quoted in Acts 1, it could be that the Antichrist knows he's the Antichrist, especially during those first three and a half years where everything is all peaceful. And I like this one, number eight, or number seven. Is the Antichrist alive right now, and will we know him? Well, again, we have this passage up on the screen here. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. The day he's talking about is the rapture of the church, and all the events that unfold after that. I wouldn't be surprised if the moment it all clicks with all believers, holy cow, that's him. Come up hither. We hear the trumpet sound. Wouldn't be surprised. So this passage is a warning about the Antichrist in the context of the rapture. There's a very good chance we could see, or are seeing right now, the Antichrist somewhere on this planet at the time of the rapture. And just to capstone things, you guys could check this out later, but 
as we started talking about counterfeit. Antichrist, Satan, he counterfeits Jesus and God on everything. Here's a list of passages. I would put a chart like this in your Bible, just for comparison. Just so you know, yeah, you know what? The best lie is the one that's closest to the truth. There's a lot of truths out there, and there's a lot of relative truth. That's a philosophy of man today. That, oh, it's okay for you to believe that, but I believe something different, and we're both okay with that. They've taken away absolute truth. This is a good chart to have to be reminded. No, Satan is a counterfeiter. There is one truth. God says to sanctify them. He wants us to be set apart from others by the truth. And what is truth in John 17, 17? Thy word is truth. Let's pray.